time it took me to walk from the back to the front, you may have accidentally closed your Bible. Let me encourage you to reopen it uh, up to John chapter 12 once more. If you've not met me before, if you're new or visiting, uh, my name is Mark Smith. I'm one of the uh, assistant minister here. I'm delighted that you're here amongst us and with us tonight. Before we look at John 12 closely, we need to pray though and ask for God's help. Let's pray. Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you that you're a gracious and mighty God. We thank you that you're at work uh, throughout the world. We are deeply, deeply thankful for the way that you're at work uh, through the Brownings over in uh, Ethiopia. Father, we pray that you might be at work here tonight in our lives. Uh, We ask that you would speak to us by your Spirit, that we might know you better and change us to be more and more like your Son, that we would grow to be in his image. And we ask this for his precious name. Amen. Hope is a normal part of life. And just as normal as hope is disappointment. If you glance over an average week, uh, you'll see it's pretty much a cycle of expectation flowing into disappointment again and again and again. Uh, This is the, the mundane grind of life. Think over that kind of job list that you write on a Monday uh, and how by Friday you discover not only have you only done half the things that were on the list, it's now three times longer than when you began. (laughs) It's just that cycle of expectation and disappointment that are just normal. They're par for the course. Uh, There's a boy in my son's Oztag team uh, named Luke and last week uh, Luke went home in tears uh, because he'd arrived late and he didn't get much of the ball and you know, he had all these hopes for the game and they just weren't met and so, I mean, it seems a bit trivial but when you're a six-year-old boy, you know, that's life. It was his world. Um, expectations are there and they shape us and they shape us in ways often we can't control. And God is not ignorant of that fact. Uh, indeed, he made us. He knows how we work. Uh, there's a part of the Bible, a book called The Proverbs, full of truisms and pithy statements and there is this insight into humanity there, uh, it may come up on the screen uh, from Proverbs 13 Hope deferred makes the heart sick but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. Hope deferred makes the heart sick but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life uh, The day that one of my daughters was born uh, my sister and her husband found out that they wouldn't be able to have children themselves naturally It's only those who've heard that kind of news who, uh, from a doctor who could really understand the weight uh, and the pain of that kind of information. Uh, But that proverb captures something of it. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Uh, We are designed to hope. God made us with expectations built in and in this imperfect world, Daily, what we have to do is deal with them being thrown back, being disappointed, being unmet in all areas of our life. Even when it comes to the reality of God himself, we may find that our expectations go unfulfilled. I know people who, who, who still harbour deep resentment and anger even towards God because life just hasn't worked out the way they planned. God has not met their expectations. And today we're looking at an incident in Jesus' life where he may not entirely fit your expectations. Again, I'll encourage you, if you close it up, John 12 needs to be open in front of you. 
because we meet there Jesus, Jesus the promised king, but he's a king who subverts all the expectations. And as, as we look at it, you need to be careful to listen to what God is saying and you need to be aware that you may just instinctively have placed Jesus in a box and you may find that he won't fit. And if that's the case, it's you, not Jesus, who's going to have to change to accommodate. Well, there in John 12, expectation hung thick in the air. It was the feast of the Passover. Uh, At Passover, Jewish people from all around the country would would descend down on Jerusalem to celebrate the time that God had saved them from Egyptian slavery. God's angel of death had passed over the Israelites, uh, all their households where where lamb's blood was around the doorposts, splashed away. Uh, Lamb had died, a lamb had died, that they might have life. And as a nation, they were never to forget that. They were never to forget how they had been saved. And so they celebrated. And it was a bigger celebration than you know, our recent Harbour Bridge 75th. Uh, a Passover feast about 30 years after this one in John 12 uh, was estimated to have about 2.5 million participants. This was a big deal. And crowds poured into Jerusalem and they poured into little towns that neighboured it, like Bethany, two miles down the road where Jesus was staying. And they met there that they could remember God's salvation and they were desperately hoping it was going to happen again. So the Jews at the time lived under a puppet government. Uh, The real law was the Romans. They were captives again and they longed for freedom and they they were expecting God to raise up just another leader and overthrow their enemy and bring them deliverance and and what better time to kind of fan those flames of hope than Passover. They knew God's promises. And so in verse 13, chapter 12, verse 13, the crowd recite freedom songs. Uh, I think they'll come up on the screen but otherwise look at chapter 12, verse 13. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. They're quoting an old song. We have it in our Bibles if you want to look it up later in Psalm 118. And it's a song about God's goodness. It's a song about his love and about how he defends his people and how he's going to defeat all their enemies and the nations who oppose them. It's a victory song. It's the song you sing after you've won. And in there there's a request, Hosanna. A literal translation, it means give salvation now. Give salvation now. It's a song that blesses the one who comes in the name of the Lord to come and deliver. Growing up we all learned the national anthem at school. My children are going through that phase now, learning little bit by little bit. And, and you know every test match we have the chance to kind of stand up even in the crowd and sing away. These people, the Jewish people, knew the song in the same way. They they grew up singing it. But they tweaked the lyrics a little. At the end of verse 13, rather than simply, Blessed is the the name, uh, sorry, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, that was in the original, uh, in their particular cover version, they've added an extra line Blessed is the King of Israel. They expected political deliverance. We Australians find that kind of passion a bit strange, hard to get our minds around. I did a subject uh, at university in political science, uh, 
about the only thing I remember from that course is one uh, student, uh, a mature age student, she was from South America uh, and one particular rant she gave us, uh, it was a rant, it, it was a justified rant but it was a rant, um, she gave us a rant about how little we cared about political issues. She couldn't understand how passionless we were. But when you grow up in a stable government, that's all you know, it's hard to get with these longings. And so we may not be able to relate to these crowds' longings, but but perhaps we can all connect to this. They expected things of God. We all have expectations of God. And we're not always able to articulate them and speak them, but, but they bubble up to the surface at times when we're disappointed, when life just doesn't work the way that we thought it should, when we don't get that job, when we don't get that girl, when, when the happiness that we feel should be coming to us just isn't there. And the Passover crowd, well, they're not so far from us. Their ideas of what God should be doing for them. And the man most likely to deliver to be their king is Jesus. Uh, recently, oh, Eugene, please be excused. Uh, recently, Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. Now, this wasn't a kind of moment where he'd just been there on the spot and was able to administer CPR really efficiently. No, uh, Lazarus was well dead. Uh, he was so dead his funeral had happened. He was so dead that he'd been four days in the grave. And then Jesus turns up and with a word speaks and Lazarus lives and and so that year at Passover Jesus was all the buzz I mean if he can do this for a dead man imagine what he can do for our nation and so hearing that Jesus is on his way they take to the streets and they're calling out Hosanna give salvation now Hosanna it's been 2000 years since Jesus walked this earth but still he's the subject of massive expectation it's estimated that a third of the world's population would call themselves Christian in some sense. A few billion people have placed their hopes in him. And most of those expectations, like those of the crowd, are about what Jesus can do for me. What can he do for me? Social analysts talk about Australia being a, a postmodern culture uh, without going in too deeply to, to sociology and labels of culture what they're trying to say when they're talking about religion is that people are less concerned with objective truth and more interested in, you know, what can it do for me? What difference will it make to my life if I sign up? Uh, Easter's a time when, when the name of Jesus is, is at least there in the background behind the, the chocolate and the bunnies. Uh, but people's question about Jesus isn't, oh, did he really die and rise again? Uh, instead it's, well, what's this Jesus going to do for me? What's in it for me if I follow him? Now that may or may not be you but either way you need to see how, de- how Jesus deals with people's expectations because he does two things. Uh, first of all with his crowd he accepts their praise and then he overturns their expectations. In verse 14 rather than taking a back entrance to the city in, in a way that he had done previously in his public life he climbs board and rides straight down the middle into town He rides into those shouts, he rides into those cries and the adulation and he takes on his own shoulders their hope and their longing and he accepts their praise and he takes their title, yes, I am the King of Israel. But he does it with a twist. Verse 14, chapter 12, verse 14. 
Jesus found a young donkey and he sat upon it. As it's written, Do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. He chooses the, the clapped out Datsun 220 uh, rather than the 07 European designed convertible. Uh, rather than the king's steed, he goes for this baby donkey. Hardly glorious. But it's more than, a, than an issue of taste. It's, it's a self-consciously and, and deeply symbolic action. He rides a donkey so that those in the know would recall Zechariah's words. God, through Zechariah, centuries before, had spoken, had promised a king who was going to bring peace, the kind of peace that ends wars for good. Uh, in Zechariah's words, and some of them may come up, oh yeah, uh, Jerusalem's chariots will be taken away and the battle bow broken. In other words, they'll celebrate by complete disarmament. The Cold War, if you can remember anything of 20th century history, the Cold War testified uh, for the need for bigger and bigger and bigger bombs if you want peace. So you don't destroy your weapons when you win a battle. You don't destroy them unless, of course, you win so decisively that they'll never come back and there'll never be another threat. There'll be no more war. And that is Jesus' victory. It's a universal victory. As Zechariah promises, he's going to proclaim peace to the nations, not just to the Jews and Israel. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. But the real twist of this king's victory will be from, from Zechariah 9.11, it'll be through the blood of my covenant. Jesus himself spells out his unusual deliverance. Chapter 12, verse 23. Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. And again down there in verse 31, Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. But I, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. And he said this to show the kind of death is going to die. See, Jesus' blood will bring the victory. Yes, he accepts the crowd's praise. Yes, he accepts the responsibility to be king, but he subverts their expectations. It's going to be victory on his terms, his way. He's not going to buy victory on the you know, back of a war horse with a band of warriors. He's going to do it by spilling his own blood. Because Jesus is the king, he won't be dictated to. Even by his supporters, they cannot tell him how he should do his job. Uh, it's true, Jesus is a true servant. Um, I, I hope he'll be with us on Friday uh, as we explore more his death and his loving service for us. How he did uh, what could never be deserved and how he did what was so desperately needed by us. Yet it's the service of a king. The crowd hoped for a leader that was going to be shaped by them. So we have leaders that if we, don't, if we don't like their policy, we vote them out. And so they actually follow us. Jesus is a real leader. He will lead and he won't lead their way. He'll lead his way. And so within a space of a week, the same crowd uh, that shouted at the top of their lungs, you know, Hosanna, Hosanna, hailing him as king, within six days they'd breathe out murder. Crucify him, crucify him. 
And this isn't the modern, this isn't the Jesus that, that modern Australians want either. And it's not the one they expect. See, most Australians expect Jesus to be their kind of on-call emergency system. Uh, just like Triple O, um, we, we want to reserve the right to ignore the emergency services uh, unless, of course, we're in trouble, in which case we want them immediately, if not sooner, uh, and then they can come and sort out our problems and then we can go back to ignoring them. Our society wants uh, Jesus and, and his people to, to do well, fit their agenda. I mean, it would be great if Jesus' people, the church, if they looked after the down and outs and those in trouble, um, but they can never, they should never speak a word about you know, culture and shape the way culture should be. They, you know, what right has Jesus got to speak about law or order or morality? Australians want a Jesus who, who won't bug them at work, a Jesus who will let them enjoy their weekends. They don't want a king who rules the world on his terms. If you choose to follow Jesus, you need to realise that he will always do what's best for you, but he won't do what you want. Your expectations in life won't always be met, but he will always give you what's good for you. And Jesus makes that point with offensive clarity in verse 25. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am my servant also will be. My Father will honour the one who serves me. Easter is more than long weekends, it's more than chocolate and bunnies. It's a matter of life and death. And I don't mean Jesus, I mean yours. If you want to live, you must serve Jesus. Just like him, you've got to give up your self-interest, your hopes, your longings, your desires, your expectations. You have to lose them all and put God's interests before them. If you want life, then you'll have to follow the one who will always do what's best for you. In fact, Jesus elsewhere claims he'll give you true life, life to its full. But he won't let you dictate the terms. Oh, there are benefits I mean, we all love uh, compliments. We all love to be honoured by others. Uh, for the Shane warns of this world, um, honour comes through public adoration. It comes through you know, headlines praising you. Uh, for those of us less comfortable in the limelight, it may be as simple as people you know, respecting the rules of your household, honouring you that way. Uh, I've, I've learned with Asian families particularly, uh, simply removing your shoes before you, at the door before you enter just can signal to them your your esteem for them and respect their household. And we all love that kind of respect to be shown. But honour normally goes to people who are higher up the scale than us. Uh, The sporting world honoured Warney because, well, he was great on the cricket pitch. Uh, I remove my shoes when I go because I'm the guest and they are the the owner. Uh, The remarkable promise that Jesus makes is that the greater one will honour the lesser. There at the end of verse 26... My Father will honour the one who serves me. Can you imagine the creator of the universe honouring you? Jesus is clear. The honour, the joy, the riches of heaven, uh, they are there for you if you serve the King. Jesus rode that day under the weight of a nation's expectations. Uh, They wanted Jesus to come and fulfil their heart's desire, but Jesus doesn't get swayed by crowds. He lives to please God. And so he disappoints them. 
And that may be how you felt about Jesus. That he hasn't followed your plan. He hasn't given you what you want. You're a little disappointed with the way he runs the world. But he works to his own plan because he's a greater plan. He's his victory through death and shame. And in doing so, he actually lays a claim to rule every single life, even yours. So how do you deal with your unmet expectations? Uh, that little boy I told you of earlier, Luke, uh, from the Oztag team, uh, he went home in tears last week, but this week uh, he was back in a manner befitting the feel-good story at the end of the news. He was a man of the match performance. He was... He played a blinder, he's involved in everything, he scored points, he stopped tries. Uh, But that is not, by and large, how people, certainly in Jesus' day, coped with their disappointment. And their reactions may just capture our own. Uh, To have been there in the crowd that day when Jesus rode in at Passover, it would have been priceless. Uh, Had we been there, had we the chance to kind of go back in time, so to speak, and and, get a photo capture the moment for good so we never never forget it where would you have found yourself oh, we all do it when you're given a group shot and you know you're in it uh, the first person you look for it's yourself you know you check your hair's looking okay and then once you're there you kind of yeah, look for everybody else and got a lovely photo uh, John wants us to do the same thing here with, with chapter 12 uh, he tells us the reactions of these various groups of people to actually invite you and me to put ourselves in the picture and to work out just how is it that we're reacting to the king now, the most obvious group to spot are the Pharisees they were important people, important figures of the day they, they, were, they were the people who held the power of moral responsibility and moral respectability and persuasion uh, people looked up to them And they delighted in that. And for Jesus to go and call people to come and follow him instead, to walk straight past them that they might obey him, well, that's not going to please them, is it? There's only one thing to do. They needed to destroy him. They were so desperate to hang on to their power and give nothing away to Jesus that they plotted actually murder after murder. In in verse 9 and following, we see they actually want to bump off Lazarus, uh, who is the evidence of Jesus' power. Is that you in the crowd? I mean, yeah, yeah, you're here at church and that's great. I'm glad you're here at church. But are you so desperate to live life your way that you'll do whatever it takes to block out the claims of Jesus? I'm sure you'd be happy if Jesus was your servant, but do you refuse him the right to tell you how to act in your relationships, your workplace? Perhaps there's someone else in the shop more like you. Uh, In verse 42 and 3, we're we're told how other leaders dealt with their disappointment. Verse 42, Yet at the same time, many even among the leaders believed in Jesus. But because of the Pharisees, they wouldn't confess their faith for fear that they'd be put out of the synagogue. For they loved praise from men more than praise from God. They knew Jesus was true. That wasn't the question. They, They knew the objective facts but what is their family going to think if they you know, start taking Jesus' advice seriously? Imagine if they started living like him. I mean, they've got credibility at stake here. After all, imagine what your colleagues, what your friends would think of you uh, if, if you shaped and they knew that you shaped every decision you made on the teaching of Jesus and the life of Jesus. Uh, they believe Jesus, sure, but the cost is a bit high. 
What they want is the, the short-term payoff of popularity and they want people's praise and people to respect them and people to love them more than they want God's praise. And I'm sure every one of them got what they wanted. I'm sure they got what they looked up, out for. They, they got credibility in the community and they got rejection from God's kingdom. Is that you? Whose pleasure and praise are you living for? Uh, let's look around the scene one last time. Uh, there's a group in verse 17 who have been there. They were there when Lazarus was raised and they witnessed the power of the promised king and, and their only thought was, I've got to make him known. I've got to make him known. If there was a doctor at Royal North Shore who, with a word, uh, could cure cancer, I'm sure her services would be much demanded. Uh, the queue would you know, fill the northern line at a block up the Harbour Bridge 24 hours a day uh, with traffic that's slightly longer than it is at the moment. You know, that This would be someone worth seeing and everyone needs to hear about her. Uh, Jesus is a king who can satisfy the deepest need we have. He can defeat death. Oh, sure, he won't let us dictate his terms to him. He won't give us everything we want necessarily. He won't grant every request. But this, this Jesus, the news has got to get around. He was a man who was not just worth following, he was worth telling other people to follow. Can you see yourself amongst that group? Hope is normal, just like disappointment. In the promised King Jesus, you have the chance to gain a hope that will never be disappointed. Oh sure, he he calls you to give up your life for it to serve him and hate your life here but, but then life and life to the full is yours to keep. Jesus may not have fitted into the expectations that you wanted him with tonight and if that's the case this is the, the perfect night for you to change your expectations and so that you can say without even a hint of irony Hosanna, blessed is the King of Israel. Let's pray. Lord and Father, we thank you. We thank you for Jesus and that you sent him into this world as the true and mighty king. Uh, We thank you that he didn't bow to the pressure of the crowd, but he did what was best and took himself to death that we might have life. Father, we pray that you would be speaking to each one of us, helping us to give up our own lives, that we might follow him, that we might know a hope that has no disappointment. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.